The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau, who is the principal at ETF Consultants. Uh, which provides specialized exchange-traded fund consulting services to investors. Welcome to the show, Gary. Glad to be here, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and how you got interested in ETFs and how you got to where you are today. Well, uh, my early background was in derivatives, but uh, at one point an, uh, an opportunity presented itself to go to the American Stock Exchange uh, to take on responsibility for new product development and they had uh, fairly recently, before I arrived there, launched uh, the first exchange-traded fund, the Spider, and uh, that fell into my bailiwick. So I have been working on exchange-traded funds uh, ever since. So why don't we just go to the beginning? Just tell us what an exchange-traded fund is and how it's different from, say, an open and mutual fund that people may be familiar with. Okay, well, the principal difference between an exchange-traded fund or an ETF, as everyone calls it, uh, is that it is traded uh, on an exchange in, a, in an open market uh, throughout the trading day. And the price is usually pretty close to the uh, ongoing intraday value of the fund. Uh, that is the uh, primary difference as far as what's obvious is concerned. But it has a number of advantages over the uh, conventional mutual fund that are not necessarily apparent uh, from that. Uh, the interesting thing is that ETFs have gotten to the point where they're accounting for an increasing share of the uh, equity trading in the U.S. markets. And in uh, many cases, they're accounting for a third or more of the dollar value of the trading that's occurring in equities in the U.S. So let's go through one by one some of the differences between ETFs and mutual funds. On, on the portfolio that they hold, um, how is this different, say, from a, a S&P 500 index fund or other kinds of index funds? Well, uh, most of the ETFs that are out there now are index funds. Uh, and these uh, few limited function actively managed ETFs that are out there are still very close to index funds. So the differences there are not particularly great. The difference is really in terms of the way you get into and out of the fund. If you're investing in a uh, conventional uh, mutual fund, an index fund, uh, basically you buy that by uh, giving uh, your broker or the company that sponsors the fund an order to buy it uh, uh, at the close for the day. In terms of an ETF, uh, you can buy it throughout the day at any intraday value, depending on the supply and demand for shares of the fund. Now, that can be a good feature. It doesn't necessarily turn out to be, because if you don't execute the trade effectively, you can end up paying more than the shares are worth. How are the fees difference, different between an ETF and a mutual fund? Well, as a generalization, the fees, the expense ratio, which is the principal uh, visible uh, fee element, is considerably lower on the ETFs than it is for the conventional, even index, uh, mutual funds. So that is a, that's a significant difference. Uh, that is not necessarily the whole picture in terms of the expenses, because there are uh, other costs associated with the composition changes in the index funds, and you would generally try to avoid the most popular indexes because they're uh, going to have the most expensive composition changes, and that is on top of the expense ratio. So over the long term, 
what kind of difference would that difference in expenses make, uh, say, to somebody who wants a standard Poor's 500 or kind of a standard index if they do a mutual fund versus an ETF? Well, uh, if you're looking just at, you want to compare the S&P 500 uh, the, um, to the uh, uh, conventional index fund, the difference is probably going to be uh, something in the vicinity of 10 to 15 basis points or uh, 10 to 15 hundredths of a percent. If you're looking at a wider range of uh, funds, the difference is likely to be greater simply because the expense ratio on both will be higher. Now, in the particular period we're in, there's a, a kind of price war on there out there in terms of S&P 500 uh, ETFs. And what you're going to see in this environment is a lot of money moving into the S&P 500 over the next, uh, say, 6 to 12 months. And as a consequence of that, I would guess that the S&P 500 might well be the best-performing large-cap index in the U.S. over that period. Once you get past that point, however, when the growth is is over with, the cost of composition changes in the S&P 500 is going to go much higher. And so it, from that point on, it's not going to be a very good uh, index to have your money invested in. Um, you have a book out uh, called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual, uh, published by Wiley. And in there, you also talk about the difference between fund flows and how that affects performance of an ETF versus a mutual fund. So a mutual fund has a lot of money coming into it, a lot of money going out of it. Therefore, the fund manager has to buy and sell things, and that doesn't affect an ETF. Is that another difference between the two? Yes, that's very important. And, and I, what I typically refer to that, and most people do, is the idea of shareholder protection. Uh, ETFs are created and redeemed in kind. In other words, uh, you buy and sell the shares in an intraday market. You don't deal directly with the fund. That means that you're going to incur a small transaction cost, uh, certainly in, in most cases a commission, although there are a lot of places where you can buy these without a commission anymore. But uh, you're going to also have a spread between the bid and the offer. That is uh, small, and it's a one-time thing. Uh, and once you are in an ETF, you are protected from the costs associated with other investors moving into and out of the fund. In contrast, in a conventional mutual fund, all of the shareholders in the fund share the costs of people moving in and out of the fund. So if you uh, buy shares in a, uh, in a S&P 500 mutual fund, you're going to buy those shares at net asset value. If you redeem, you're going to sell your shares at net asset value. All of the shareholders in the fund are going to share in the costs of converting your cash into investment securities, and they're going to uh, share in the cost of selling the securities that need to be sold at the time you're pulling out of the fund. So uh, if you are in there for a very short period of time, that's not a big deal, and the mutual fund is probably the best place to be. But if you are going to be investing for the long term, by far the most efficient place to be is the ETF. So it's a little ironic. The mutual fund is nominally supposed to be for long-term investors, but it's the best fund to trade. And the ETF is set up so that you can trade it even intraday if you want to, but it's the best fund to hold for long term. So you're saying that's kind of a uh, perverse effect, I guess you might say. I, yeah, I would say perverse is very much the right word. There's a lot of money coming into the fund when it's when it's up, and they're having to buy the stocks at high prices. And there's a lot of money going out of the mutual fund when the prices are low. So it kind of, on both sides, kind of hurts the overall shareholders. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, and not just that, but there's the market impact associated with the purchase and the sale. It's not just the, say, the commission costs, which are really relatively modest. But you're, so you're saying the stocks that the money is going into or out of are going to be are going to be higher and, and bid down lower. 
because of the money coming in. And, and you're saying lots of index funds are doing the same thing at the same time, so it kind of has a magnified effect. That's, a, that's correct. And that's a problem with all index funds, including the ETFs. So you're saying with more money going into ETFs now instead of mutual funds, then um, uh, this effect to some extent should be less uh, significant. Uh, well, it, actually, it gets more significant because uh, with this price war, particularly on S&P 500 funds, uh, it looks like you're going to have a lot more money moving into the S&P 500. And the more money that gets into the uh, S&P 500, the more expensive composition changes become. Uh, if you think back to some of the occasions when a company has been added to the S&P 500, uh, for example, when Amazon uh, was added to the S&P 500, there was a tremendous spike up on very high volume. Uh, the stock hit a uh, very sharp near-term high and dropped back. Uh, you know, it's higher, I believe, now than it was then, but the people who had an investment in S&P 500 funds paid what, at the time, was a very high price for Amazon, simply because all the funds traded at the same time. About 11% of the float of any company that uh, goes into the S&P 500 will transact uh, more or less at the close on the day it goes into the fund. And so, as this, uh, if I'm correct in terms of the impact of this price war, and the uh, market share of the S&P 500 increases, that's going to get to be a greater and greater cost as time goes by. Is this something most investors, you think, understand uh, as it relates to mutual funds? Well, I think, it, I think it's kind of uh, sort of on the borderline of esoterica, if you will. Uh, a lot of people uh, will uh, read in the Wall Street Journal or the uh, their local paper about the impact on a stock when it's added to the S&P 500, but they don't realize that if they are an investor in an S&P 500 or any index uh, fund, really, it, it works that way uh, more or less for all of them. But anyway, that's the way it, uh, that's the way Very it works. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau. Uh, he's written a new book called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual. He's an expert on ETFs. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau who's a principal at ETF Consultants, which is a consulting firm around exchange-traded funds. His new book is called The Exchange-Traded Funds Manual. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Okay. Just tell them about your uh, website and how they can find out more about you and your firm a bit. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not uh, in the business of advising uh, individual investors, but I do have a website that's got some educational material on ETFs that you might find of interest. Uh, it's www etfconsultants with an s dot com and uh... you know i think you'll find uh... some material on there that you might find of use very good we were talking about the difference between uh, etfs and mutual funds particularly index funds uh... how are they different as far as tax efficiency well uh... both of them are what are called regulated investment companies and that's a, an irs term not an sec term and one of the features of a regulated investment company is when it redeems its securities in kind, any gain realized uh, on the transaction is not a taxable gain. So uh, when the uh, redemption in kind occurs, it's almost as if that gain disappears. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who bought the shares and then uh, sold them uh, is going to avoid a capital gains tax. That is not the case. But you're much less likely with an ETF to have a capital gains distribution when you haven't done anything to, uh, uh, by way of selling your shares. So as long as you hold the shares in an ETF, it's much less likely that you're going to have a capital gains distribution than if you invested in a conventional mutual fund. Now, when we've had a year like 2007, 2008, uh, that doesn't matter very much. In the long term, it can matter a lot. Also, tell us the difference between the intraday trading of ETFs versus mutual funds. Well, in a mutual fund, you uh, buy each day at uh, the closing net asset value. And uh, that's not a bad uh, thing necessarily because it can give you a much more efficient uh, trading mechanism. But in the case of the ETF, if you want to, you can buy throughout the trading day. Now, one of the things that will be available soon is a way of trading uh, ETFs at or relative to the net asset value. So you may be able to buy them below or sell them above the uh, closing net asset value. That is particularly important as ETFs uh, get more varied. In other words, as you get actively managed ETFs and other kind of special uh, products. It's not particularly essential for the basic uh, broad market index ETFs. But that uh, is no. something that's coming up in the next probably six months. It sounds similar to closed-end funds, which can trade at a premium or discount to the net asset value as well. So you're saying some ETFs are going to be going that direction? Yeah, but it'll be a, a much smaller discount than you frequently see on uh, closed-end funds. You're talking pennies, probably. So what would be the advantage of doing an ETF over a closed-end fund? If you can buy a closed-end fund at a discount to net asset value, you're kind of buying a dollar for 90 cents or something. That's a good thing, right? Well, uh, again, the, uh, the closed-end fund... Uh, can go significantly below net asset value, and uh, the ETF can't. Uh, in effect, if the uh, ETF is selling appreciably before below net asset value, 
arbitrageurs will come in and buy the shares slightly below net asset value and redeem them at net asset value. So you're not going to have a significant premium or discount on an ETF. And the uh, discount or premium on a closed-in fund can be fairly significant. Um, so, but that those uh, discounts are not closed with closed-in funds. Arbitrageurs do not go in and typically do that, right? Well, sometimes, sometimes what will happen in the case of a closed-in fund, uh, someone will try to take it over and uh, liquidate it. Uh, so that does keep the discount from getting uh, too large. But uh, there's nothing automatic that uh, will eliminate that discount. In the case of an ETF, uh, anyone who wants to can buy a bunch of shares, and uh, by signing up as an authorized participant, uh, this would, you'd have to be a broker for that, but uh, uh, signing up as an authorized participant, you can turn it in for the shares in the portfolio, which you can sell at market value. So, you, in effect, you can cash out very close to net asset value on an ETF. Tell me a little bit about the differences between the economics of running a mutual fund versus the economics of running the ETF as a business and how that affects investors. Well, uh, first of all, uh, most of the ETFs are index funds, so the cost of running an index fund is relatively modest. Uh, over and above that, in a conventional mutual fund, you will have a lot of uh, investors uh, who uh, you have to provide a certain amount of service for. Uh, the accounts have to be held someplace. In many cases, it will be at the fund company. Uh, and there are requirements to provide information and various kinds of service. You have to provide mailings for... Uh, uh, ETF holders, just as you do for conventional uh, fund holders, but it's uh, usually a more efficient and more economical process. Uh, all of the uh, ETFs are held in street name. In other words, the fund company does not have to keep a file on every investor. As a consequence, the cost of providing investor services uh, is significantly lower. So the expense ratio on an ETF will typically be appreciably lower than the expense ratio for a conventional mutual fund. And that helps the investor in the long run earn more money. Yeah, yeah. anything you can do to reduce costs is, is desirable. Uh, however, you have to keep in mind the total costs. And in addition to the expense ratio of the, of the fund, there are the costs, for example, of the composition changes. Uh, that need to be made in, in every index fund. And that can have uh, a perverse effect. In fact, the more popular the index, the greater the cost of the composition changes, relatively speaking. Good. Okay. Uh, now, in tracking ETFs, uh, you have a whole chapter in your book. And again, your book is called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual, um, uh, with uh, John Wiley being the publisher, about how to track ETFs uh, and mutual funds what are some of the fund rating firms out there, and how do you see how they're doing compared to uh, competitors? Well, uh, there, there are three uh, major uh, fund rating firms, uh, two of whom provide information, let's say, to, to the public investor, and those two are Morningstar and S&P. Uh, the other is Lipper, uh, who I, I think in many respects has the best data, but uh, they're not really set up to provide information to the uh, uh, typical investor. My, my feeling is, and I, I think I spelled that out in some detail in the chapter, that we have a long way to go before we're going to have uh, good uh, evaluation of ETFs. We don't have, I don't think, particularly good uh, evaluation of conventional mutual funds today, but the appropriate way to look at an ETF, in my view, is uh, to compare it with other ETFs and with uh, conventional mutual funds. They do, after all, compete uh, very, very definitely, and uh, you can make comparisons in terms of 
relative performance in terms of, of costs, and I don't mean just the expense ratio, I mean the total cost picture. Uh, and you can also, in a lot of uh, actively managed funds, get a very good handle on what kind of value, if any, the uh, active manager is contributing. In mon- many cases, the manager is doing a spectacular job and really adding value. In other cases, uh, you would be ahead with an index fund. It, it varies all over the map. So it, it's not a simple process, and we certainly do not have uh, the answer in terms of any of the services that are out there today. One of the complaints about ETFs is that they don't track uh, their underlying performances, uh, underlying indexes that they're indexed to very well. Particularly, you hear about this in the commodity world, that uh, you know, the gold or whatever it may be, that they're way, way off. What is your response to that? Okay. There are, there are a whole host of issues there. As far as, as, far as gold is concerned, I, I think that one uh, tracks very closely. Uh, you can basically take the uh, price of gold and adjust it for the relatively modest uh, uh, per ounce uh, expense ratio, and uh, uh, it will uh, track, I think, very closely. What I think you're probably referring to in terms of the tracking problem relates to a number of the uh, funds. Now, I'm going to call everything an ETF. Uh, some of the things that we're talking about here are actually securitized commodities funds, but there's a tendency to call them all ETFs. Okay, sure. I'm, I'm comfortable with that, so I think that's appropriate. Uh, what they do is they hold uh, futures contracts. And what they will do is they will buy a futures contract that is maybe got uh, nine months to go. And when it has three months to go, they will sell it and buy the next uh, contract that's out there nine months. Okay, I think we're going to get back into this after the break. So we'll be right back. Again, my guest this hour is uh, Gary Gastineau. His book is called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual, uh, all about the whole incredibly interesting world of ETFs. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. 
For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau, who is an exchange-traded funds expert. His latest book is called The Exchange-Traded Funds Manual. Uh, His firm is ETF Consultants. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Okay. We were talking about the kind of tracking problem of, uh, particularly in the commodity fund area. Tell us kind of why this is happening. Is this a reason people should not be uh, using commodity-based ETFs? Well, I don't know that I would go that far, but it's something that you definitely should understand, and you should have uh, a pretty clear idea as to what uh, your expectations should be. If you are investing in, let's say, one of the precious metals funds. Basically what the fund is doing is it's buying uh, the metal, depositing it in a bank, and the bank, the fund issuer, and so forth are collecting uh, a relatively small charge for uh, packaging this thing uh, for you. And the value of your uh, share is going to go up and down pretty much in line with the price of the metal. Uh, if you get into oil or gas or many other uh, commodities, any agricultural commodity, what you will tend to uh, have is a situation where at times you can get into uh, a situation where there's an expectation out there that prices are going to rise. And what that means is people are looking at the current prices and the price of oil or gas or corn or what have you is fairly modest today, but the futures prices are significantly higher. So uh, what these funds do is they can't buy spot. You can, you can store gold or palladium or something like that at relatively low cost. You can't store oil or gas or corn at a reasonable cost. So the way these funds get their exposure to the commodity is in the futures markets. Well, if there's a widespread expectation that prices are going to rise, the price of the more distant futures contract is going to be higher than the spot price. So what they have to do is they have to buy a futures contract, say, nine months out. And they buy that and they hold it for about six months. Well. Uh, over that period of time, if prices, if the spot price hasn't risen, the, the near-term price, the futures price is going to come down, but the futures contract that's now nine months out is going to be selling at a higher price. So when they roll that position from the uh, near-term future to the far future, they're going to lose money. And what has happened to a lot of these funds is they have been doing this uh, quarter after quarter, and as they, gra- as they continue to move out, the uh, underlying commodity spot price has been doing reasonably well, but they've been losing badly on the roll. And that has been uh, the problem with many of these. So uh, would you say people should not be uh, investing in these commodities? Like the agriculture is not the gold and silver and so on, but the agriculture because of this problem? Well, uh, again, it's a question of what the expectations are and what the price relationships are. In general, when everybody is expecting the price to rise, you don't want to have a position in one of these funds that is continually buying a higher-priced, more distant future and selling it low and buying the next high-priced future. If you happen to get in a situation where oil prices are depressed and the futures price is down, that could be a terrific time to own these things. But you have to keep in mind that if the futures price is above the spot, that's something called contango, uh, then 
you're going to have a situation where unless the spot price rises substantially, you're going to lose money on the roll. And, you know, frankly, would I buy one of these for myself? Uh, I would say probably not. I think I would probably go directly into the futures market or I'd try to do something a little bit different. But uh, I don't think this is necessarily the greatest uh, investment structure in the world, particularly not in a period when uh, economic activity is relatively modest, yet people are still expecting a lot of commodity prices to rise substantially over the next year or two. And uh, that's just a, a bad environment for that kind of fund. Now, there's also a called leveraged long uh, exchange traded funds and inverse exchange traded funds. Let's start with the leveraged long funds. These are uh, those that take on leverage. How do those work, and what is the advantage of investing in those? Well, basically the idea for all of these funds is uh, a lot of people are looking for leverage, and a lot of people would like to have leverage, say, in their IRA or something like that, and they can't buy on margin in those accounts. So what they, and they may not want to take the, the uh, risk associated with buying on margin because in these leveraged long uh, or leveraged inverse ETFs, you can't lose more than the amount you invest. And, of course, if you buy on margin, uh, if things go badly against you, uh, you could be wiped out and you could have uh, a need to make good on the, on the margin debt that uh, you lost on. So, at any rate, that is uh, uh, the uh, that's the, the reason why this particular structure is uh, popular. And uh, what it what it means is that the fund is reset every day. Uh, let's say you buy a three times leveraged fund. Um, the fund is set up so that at the close of the day today, it is set up to deliver you three times the return on, let's say, the S&P 500 tomorrow. If the S&P 500 is up uh, 10%, this fund will be up 30%. If the S&P 500 is down 10%, this thing will be down 30%. Okay? Uh, now, the following day, it resets. So whatever the value is on the following day, it'll be three times leveraged from that. Well, considering that when things are going up, you'll have increased exposure in terms of the dollar change, and when they're going down, you'll have uh, decreased exposure on the upside when they're coming back. What these things tend to do is if they're not moving in the same direction uh, on a regular basis or on an ongoing basis, the fluctuations will cause them to lose value over time. Now, in the book, I've got a table uh, and an example that goes through this in a number of, of cases, but basically the simplest way of phrasing it is that the leverage works for you on the upside and it can hurt you badly on the downside because if you go down and then up, you're, uh, you go, if you go down for 10% and then up 10%, you're going to be below where you started. And that, that is the problem with, uh, with these funds. So over a period of time, the more volatile the market is, the worse your return is going to be on both the leveraged long and the leveraged inverse funds. If you happen to uh, buy a leveraged long fund uh, just before a period of consecutive day-by-day-by-day day increases, you're going to do better than the three times leverage. If you're going to, if you buy it uh, before a uh, period of uh, uh, high volatility, you're going to do much, much worse. So the, the, the yeah. disclosure in these funds is very clear. It tells you exactly what they're going to do, but most people don't read uh, the disclosure documents. Or understand that if they did read it, probably for those parts. Well, actually, the the tables in there are are fairly clear. Now, I'm not saying that that everybody's going to understand this, but if if you take the time uh, to read them, uh, I think you will you will understand, and you'll say, well, either this is for me, or no, this is scary, and I, I don't want it. 
but uh, you you owe it to yourself in all of these and in any investment really for that matter to read uh, the basic disclosure documents. Yes, and let's talk about inverse ETFs, uh, those that go the other direction. Uh, do those track pretty well in the inverse direction? And uh, apparently there are not only regular inverse, but double and triple inverse. Is this a good idea for people to be playing if they're bearish on the market? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, if you're selling short, uh, you theoretically have uh, potential for unlimited loss. In one of these ETFs, your loss is limited to the amount that you invest. So in that sense, uh, there is, uh, I would say, some advantage to having uh, this structure. But on the on the inverse uh, ETFs, you're going to have essentially the same issue. The more volatile the market is during the period you're in it, uh, your capital is going to erode. If you buy an inverse fund and the market goes down consistently day after day, you're going to be a very happy investor. But uh, if you buy an inverse fund and the market goes up every day, you're going to look pretty bad. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. The more volatile the markets are and the more it goes against you, the uh, worse the results are going to be. You also have a chapter of the book on shorting ETFs. That's another way to play the market going down, right? Right, yeah. Okay, I think we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau. Uh, he's written a new book called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual. Uh, he is the principal at ETF Consultants, their website, etfconsultants.com. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts, for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan, or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Gastineau, uh, who's got a new book out called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual, published by Wiley. Uh, he is the principal at ETF Consultants. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Good to be. Let's take a uh, longer-term look. Uh, 
How big is the ETF business now, and, and how big do you think this could get? Well, in the in the U.S., we're looking at a little less than nine hundred uh, uh, billion dollars, and in terms of uh, overseas, it's probably another three hundred billion. So uh, the growth has been most dramatic in the U.S. for a whole host of reasons, but uh, it's certainly uh, taking off overseas as well. Long term, I would expect that most of the money that is now in mutual funds will migrate to uh, ETFs. And I think uh, the advantages are fairly clear in terms of the index ETF over the index mutual funds, but I think the advantage is even greater for actively managed ETFs over actively managed mutual funds. And I think that's going to be increasingly clear to more and more people as time goes by, and more money is going to move into the ETF market, uh, not just domestically but worldwide. I think we talked about it a little bit, but just maybe be extremely clear on the advantage of actively managed ETFs versus actively managed mutual funds. Okay. Well, first of all, actively managed funds, other things being equal, tend to have uh, more trading activity, and they tend to have people moving in and out of them more. So the shareholder protection from the cost of that flow moving in and out is more important, uh, is more valuable in the actively managed fund than it is in the index fund. Uh, that's that's a, a very significant um, uh, part of the picture. Uh, that, I think, is, is a part of it. And also, there's probably more turnover in the portfolio, so the uh, tax efficiency is a more significant uh, factor. So uh, as people uh, begin to understand how this works better, and as we get to the situation where we can have uh, full-function actively managed ETFs, and I think we're a year or maybe a year and a half away from that, it's going to get uh, to be much more uh, important, and you're going to see a lot more uh, movement of investor money into the ETF market. I mean, you, you know, consider that this is a product that didn't exist until the beginning of 1993. It's been phenomenal. There are very few financial products that have accumulated this kind of assets over that kind of a period of time. So we're currently at about 1.2 trillion nation worldwide. What what could this be like in five years or something? How big could this grow? Well, uh, you know, any any estimate I make would be a guesstimate, but uh, I don't see why it shouldn't more than double in five years. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about uh, foreign uh, ETFs now. This is th those in foreign countries or domestic ones that are investing in foreign countries you're talking about? Well, uh, both of those. The, the numbers that we've been talking about so far have been domestic funds, have included domestic funds that invest in uh, foreign securities. Uh, the, the, uh, that's about the $900 billion. The roughly $300 billion, which is uh, other countries' uh, ETFs, are funds that are... Uh, issued in, say, Australia or Japan or the U.K., and uh, they hold securities in U.S. stocks and securities in various other countries around the world. And uh, they use uh, a variation of some kind on the U uh, U.S. model. The U.S. model is very definitely based on the Investment Company Act of 1940, which is the primary uh, regulatory uh, legislation that controls the fund business in the U.S. There are similar rules in other countries, in uh, the common market, or the European Union, its usage. In other uh, countries, they have their own uh, set of protocols. In uh, Australia, for example, uh, a lot of the funds that trade uh, actively in Australia are U.S. ETFs. Uh, in other words, they're U.S. funds that uh, are available for trading in Australia. So, I mean, it, it varies a lot depending on the country that you're dealing with. If you want to invest overseas, uh, what kind of options are available within the ETF universe, either for individual countries or regions? 
Uh, well, first of all, most any country that you're likely to want to invest in, and probably a few that you wouldn't want to invest in, there is a country ETF uh, for it. There are also uh, various uh, segments or industries or, uh, uh, let's say, uh, market size or growth and value splits that uh, are, uh, uh, you know, in, in, uh, involved. And so you can get uh, a lot of, uh, uh, of choices. There are regional ETFs, for example, the two most popular uh, ETFs that hold foreign securities are probably uh, ones that use uh, EFA or the uh, uh, one of the other major developed country indexes, and uh, there are a couple of uh, funds that trade on emerging market funds, and these will take uh, you know fairly broad regional. Uh, exposures. So basically, what you're saying uh, in our few minutes left here, whatever you want is out there. <laughs> it could be commodities, it can be inverse funds, it could be foreign, it could be individual industries. There's an ETF for almost anything you could potentially want to invest in. Well, uh, actually, I'd have to say that probably exaggerates a little because there seem to be new ETFs coming along every week. So uh, uh, somebody out there thinks that we still don't have enough. <laughs> I guess so. All right, about a minute or so we have. Why don't you just kind of do a quick summary and also give your website again uh, for the advantage of doing ETFs in today's market. Okay, well, first of all, the, the principal advantage is that from the, uh, in terms of the kind of returns that the product is going to deliver, other things equal, uh, an ETF should deliver a better after-tax return uh, to any investor, whether it's a taxable account or a non-taxable account, in a conventional mutual fund, or then a separately managed account or something of that nature, it's simply a, a better structure. Uh, that that's the essence of uh, what uh, what I'm saying. And I think any investor who invests in funds or invests uh, uh, on his own or uh, works with an advisor should understand as much as he can about ETFs. I'm not suggesting everybody needs to be an expert on it, but you should understand what's out there and why this is a better mousetrap. Very good. Again, my guest this hour has been Gary Gastineau. Uh, he is the principal at ETF Consultants. His website is etfconsultants.com. Uh, the name of his latest book is called The Exchange Traded Funds Manual, uh, the publisher being uh, Wiley. And uh, it's a fascinating world out there. Over a trillion dollars in ETFs now, going to be doubling in the next few years. Any choice you want and tax efficiency while you're at it. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Gary. Okay. Thanks very much, and we'll be back again with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.